Welcome to the Sunny Hill Podcast. This message was recorded at our Ferndown campus. For more information about service times and locations, please visit sunnyhill.church. I haven't got long. It's dark now. I've been here all day. There were three of us this morning. No, it's just me. And I haven't got long. I need you to listen. I need you to listen really carefully to what I'm about to tell you. It's pretty incredible. You're going to have trouble believing me. But I swear to you, everything I say is exactly how it happened. I know what you're thinking. You're thinking, why should I believe you? And I don't blame you. I don't blame you. I'm a, I'm a criminal after all. And not a very good one, otherwise I wouldn't be here. So why should you believe me? Well, think about it. What have I got to gain by feeding you a fairy tale? What's in it for me? In a few minutes, I'll be gone. I told you, I really haven't got long. So where do I begin? I wasn't always bad. I did pretty well at school. I learned the scriptures. My mom, she thought I'd go to rabbi school and become a teacher. I, I tried to do the right thing. Three years ago, I even got baptized, you know, by that, by that fella, John. John the baptizer. Crazy dude. But what he said just made, it made sense to me. And... I felt something, I really, I really felt something. When I went down in the river and came up again, it just felt like this weight had been lifted from me. And that was the first time I saw him. He was there too, getting baptised by John. And we could all tell there was something, something different about him. John said, John said he's the one. John said he's the one the one we've been waiting for all these years. And when he went down into the water and came up again, I tell you, the clouds parted, the sun shone down on him. There was like an earthquake. I told you you wouldn't believe me, but I swear to you it's true. And if I'd known then that three years later I'd be here next to him, waiting to die, maybe I'd have made different choices. You see, it wasn't long after that that I met Dan. Dan, he's the fellow the other side. He's already gone too now. But Dan introduced me to some friends of his, and they all seemed pretty cool at first, and and we got on, but it descended from there. Don't judge me. Don't judge me. It could have happened to anyone. I I just fell in with the wrong sort. The wrong sort. (laughs) That's exactly what my mum would have called them. I started off small fry, you know, uh, stealing food from the market, uh, picking the occasional pocket, but it quickly grew to bigger, bigger things. A few weeks ago, I told them, the governor's house, well, that's just, just risky business, isn't it? But they said it'd be all right. And Dan, he said he had a friend on the inside and it was all set up. Well, it was all. It was all a set up. 
Turns out his friend wasn't such a good friend. After all, they were there. They were in there and they were waiting for us. There was a big fight. Somebody got hurt really badly and now I'm here. I tried to tell them at the trial that it was just an accident, but there was no chance. The governor, he was the judge's cousin or something. Guilty as charged. Which I guess I was, you know, guilty. The funny thing is, I don't feel guilty, not anymore. Right now, I feel like I did after John had baptized me. I feel clean and I feel, I feel hopeful, which is, which is mad considering where I am. Anyway, I'm getting ahead of myself and I haven't got long. The next time I saw him, there was a crowd listening to him and they were, they were just hanging on his every word. I was just passing by, but I guess I was curious about what he was saying and how he'd drawn this crowd to him. I was curious. The only people that seem to draw a crowd these days are the, are the zealots and the, and the madmen who were rallying against Roman rule. But he didn't talk like them. His words were full of peace and love and acceptance. He also didn't talk like the teachers from the temple. They always make you feel like you don't measure up. You come away from a conversation with, with one of those guys, you know, the Pharisees and the high priests, and you know you're never, never going to be good enough. Whereas with, with him, with Jesus, he challenged all that. I remember that day with the crowd. He was saying, you've heard it said, don't murder. Don't commit adultery. You've heard it said, an eye for an eye. You've heard it said, love your neighbours and hate your enemy. And we had. We had heard it say that. I mean, they'd been telling us that since I was a young boy. That was drummed into me. And I'd never had any reason to doubt it until, until Jesus. He said, love your enemy. Pray for those who want to harm you. I mean, he was totally serious. It sounded like madness. His words, they shouldn't have made sense. We should have laughed him out of town or, or, or thrown rocks at him or at the very least we should have ignored him. But we couldn't because coming from him, it did make sense. He spoke as if he knew something, not like the other teachers. He spoke as if he knew a greater power. He spoke as if he was saying the very words of, of God himself. Of course, the other teachers and the Pharisees, they hated it and they hated him. People began to question what they were teaching us. And I'm not talking about clever, schooled people. I'm talking about normal, uneducated folk. You see, Jesus, he was like a prophet. He was a spokesman for normal people like me. And as he gained authority, and as he gained influence, the high priests were losing it. And they didn't like that. Hence. But it wasn't just words. What I mean is, it wasn't just the words he said, it wasn't even just how he said it, it was the things he did too. And this is where it gets incredible. Are you still with me? Are you with me? People came to him to listen to him, yes. But they also came with their problems, with their illnesses and with their sickness and with their broken bodies and they went away from him, healed, better, made whole. It was amazing. Now, I'd heard about it, of course, 
people from all over Judea were talking about this, this guy. And I'd heard that so-and-so had been healed. I'd heard that this, this woman's son had, had been delivered from an evil spirit. I heard this guy's uncle was paralyzed and now he was walking again. And I'd always said, yeah, 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 I'll believe it when I see it. Like we all think, you know. But then I did see it with my own eyes. About six months ago, I was on my way into Jerusalem. There was this big festival going on. So lots of people, you know, easy pickings for a guy like me. Now on these days, there was always people at the gates begging. And there was this one guy, he'd been there for as long as I can remember. And he was blind. And I don't mean he he, he couldn't see very well. I mean he was totally, he was blind as a bat. And the high priest and the teachers had told us he was blind because of some sin that he'd done. Which was mad because he'd been blind for, I think, since he was born. So then they'd say, oh, well, he's blind because of something his parents had done then. Some terrible thing. So every day, this guy, this blind guy, would be sat at the gates, hands held out, asking for change, begging for coin. And it gets to a point where you don't notice them anymore, the beggars. They just kind of blend into the background. Well, that day I noticed him. And I wasn't the only one either. You see, Jesus comes along with his usual entourage and he stops at the guy and he turns to the crowd and said, this man is not blind because of sin. Nothing he's done or his parents have done. But he's blind so that God will get the glory. Of course, I was there in the crowd and we're all going, what? That makes no sense. That makes no sense at all. And then, As cool as you like, Jesus leans over and spits on the floor. And we're like, what? He bends down, picks up the dirt with the spit and starts to rub it in his hands. And we're all standing, what's he doing? What's going on now? And I kid you not, he turns to the guy and he smears it on his face. And we're like, what is he doing? We can't believe it. And the blind guy, he's as confused as any of us. He's saying, what's going on? What are you doing? What are you putting on my face? And Jesus turns to him. No, nobody wants to tell him that the guy has just rubbed muddy spit in his face. And so Jesus turns to him and he says, you need to go and wash it off in the pool of Siloam. So the guy does. He walks off. And the funny thing is, we're all following him through the streets. He's got no idea. And he gets to the pool, and there's a bigger crowd now. The Pharisees have joined us. We're all waiting to see if this is another one of his miracles. And the guy gets down into the water. He washes the mud off his face. And what do you know? He can see perfectly. Perfectly. And he's jumping up and down, and he's looking up, looking around. He's touching everybody's face, touching everything he can. He's got a smile on his face as wide as the Jericho Road. (laughs) He's going mental. And the crowd, they're going mental too. We're all going, this is amazing. We love to see a miracle. The Pharisees are going mental, but not for any good reason. They're a bit cross, let me tell you. Because the day that Jesus has done this is the Sabbath. And everyone knows you don't do work. And that includes healing people on the Sabbath. So they're now saying, well, Jesus is not from God because he's not obeying God's laws. As for me, I wasn't sure. It seems to me a pretty decent thing to do to heal someone who's been blind, no matter what day it is. So I just go right back to work. Those pockets, they're not going to pick themselves, are they? And if that had been the only time something like this happened, well, you'd forget about it, you'd get on with your life, but it wasn't. 
It seemed to be happening all the time. There wasn't a day went by when someone wasn't claiming that this rabbi, Jesus, hadn't healed them or freed them or delivered them. It was pretty insane, let me tell you. Just a week or so ago, there was, they were talking about a guy who had been raised from the dead. Raised from the dead. This guy had been in his tomb, dead and buried for four days, and he just walks out when Jesus calls his name. And loads of people saw it, and they're talking about it. Well, the religious leaders, they're trying to squash that room. But let me tell you, they can't have people rising from the dead, can they? In fact, now I'm talking about it, I can see the irony. This guy, this teacher, this rabbi, this prophet, this messiah, This man who did all these things. He could heal people and deliver people, save people, even bring people back from death. He couldn't save himself. Or I guess, more accurately, he wouldn't save himself. See, I've told you about my trial, but his was something else entirely. I could hear the whole thing From where I was, I was chained up inside. And I'm telling you, you've never seen such a circus. There were witnesses coming in, one after another, and none of them could get their story straight. Not one of them. All the testimony contradicted somebody else's testimony, and they were piling on charge after charge after charge. And Jesus just stood there saying nothing. It was like he knew he had to go through this. He knew he had to face this. Like there was some, some higher purpose to his death that nobody else knew anything about. But here, in Jerusalem, the mob rules. Which reminds me, this crowd who five days ago were waving palm branches and singing and shouting, Blessed is the King of Israel! Hosanna! Save us! welcoming him to the city. This same crowd were now shouting, crucify him, crucify him. It really makes no sense. No sense at all. I don't understand why these people who one minute are loving on him and the next minute are wanting him dead. I don't understand why the religious leaders hate him so much that they need to get rid of him personally. And I don't understand why this man who could do the things he did, who could heal people with his spit, is now being spat on and he's just letting it all happen. It's like he wanted it to happen. But no one could want this. They handed him over to the soldiers next. And these guys, let me tell you, they're experts at what they do. And it's their job not to kill him but to keep him alive. Now, I'm not going to go into any details because I I couldn't see it. I could only hear it. And there might be kids here. But let me tell you, man, it was brutal. It was brutal. And he just, he just took it. The pain, the misery, the humiliation, the torture, the beatings. It just went on and on for hours. Bear with me. I'm nearly done. I haven't got long. It just went on and on. And when they hung us here on this hill, it was like me and, and Dan, it's like we weren't even here. All the attention was on him. 
and it's not the kind of attention you would want. Believe me. They kept goading him and jeering at him and laughing at him. They took his clothes. Even the chief priest joined in. They were, they saved others, but he can't save himself. Come down and we'll believe you. As if he hadn't already done enough to convince everyone. To my own shame, I joined in at the start. It's so easy to get pulled along by the crowd, but then something, something snapped in me. I watched him take it all, the physical abuse, the verbal abuse, the mental and emotional abuse. I watched him take it all, and it was like he was sucking it all in, holding on to it, letting it stick to him. And when he did speak, he said the craziest thing, and if I hadn't heard it myself, I wouldn't have believed it. He said, Daddy, Dad, like he was talking to his father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. That was it for me. I was done for. And when Dan started up again with the mocking, I just lost it. I mean, we, we, we deserve to be here, don't we? We've messed up. We're here because of the wrong we've done. We're criminals. This guy had done nothing. Here he was, this good man, done nothing to deserve this. As far as I could tell, all he'd done was help people and heal people and save people. So what was he doing on this cross? Suddenly, as if a fog had lifted, it all became clear. There was a higher purpose to this. He was dying on that cross in some way to save everyone. Don't ask me how. I can't tell you how this works. But I do remember from, from school, there was this thing called an atoning sacrifice where you take an animal from your flock, an unblemished, perfect-looking animal, and you sacrifice this animal. And before the priest kills it, he symbolically places your sin on the animal, and then the animal dies in your place. And all I can think is, this is something like that. And all I know is I wanted to believe. I wanted to repent. I wanted Jesus to accept me. I wanted to know him and be known by him. I can't explain it, but I just wanted to put myself right with him. I knew death wasn't going to be the final chapter for him. So I said to him, I said, Jesus, Jesus, Remember me when you come into your kingdom. Today, you will be with me in paradise. That's what he said to me. Today, you will be with me in paradise. Today, today. Those were his words. I haven't got long can't be much left of this day I've got an appointment to keep before I go I wanted you to know 
maybe you, like me, have doubts or questions. Well, can I be honest with you? You're never going to get all your doubts and questions answered. No one can do that. You will never have them all answered. Sometimes you just have to take a step of faith, like I did. And I know this, if His grace is big enough for me, someone who has lived a real messed up life has no way to rectify any of the mistakes I've made. There's no chance for me to earn forgiveness from anyone I've wronged. I can't live a life that makes up for the hurt that I've caused. If His grace is enough for me, I know without a shadow of a doubt that it's enough for you too. And this is the best deal you're ever going to be offered. Trust me, I know. This day's nearly over. I think I'm done now. I haven't got long. And I've got an appointment to keep. about you but um, I'm thinking of all the people in my life I would love to have been here to share that moment with us where we just understand it is never too late to turn to God is it and it's never too early you know God has been bringing us um, here and down this little church uh, through a series of, of thinking about how can we reach out to the people around us yes it, it's it's us we're all that thief aren't we if you've turned to God we're all that we're all that guy and it's never too late we're never messed up enough that we can't turn to him because he said uh, you never have all your doubts and questions answered but his grace is enough 